right, guys, we're taking another trip back to Wyoming with my new friend Scott Reekers. Here we go. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. gentlemen welcome to this episode of the western huntsman podcast this is jim huntsman your host and i'm coming at you hot and heavy right here from clark fork idaho appreciate you guys tuning in i uh, got a really good episode lined up for you um we've uh, we've had a lot of guests from wyoming on lately which is uh which is always fun for me because wyoming has a soft spot in my heart so um this week i've got my new friend scott reekers from eastman's uh, Eastman's Tag Hub. He's a publisher. He's a, I mean, you do all sorts of stuff, Scott. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's great to be here. I, I appreciate you joining me. Um, and thanks for uh, d- dealing with my little delay this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Not an issue. Our, uh, we deal with that all the time. You know, it's, it's life and it gets busy. Mondays can either be like totally non-active, just dead, or they can be complete chaos. There never seems to be like this in-between for me. And and so I don't know if that's how it is for you, but um, it was it's, insane this morning. It's uh, it's definitely uh, been uh, – it's going to be a, a fast and crazy Monday here. And I I like starting off the week that way, and then we can get the pace going and, you know, hopefully have a really productive week. Yeah. But I'm – I don't mind the Monday where I can actually think about what I have going on rather than just, you know, my calendar telling me exactly where I have to be and what I have to do. Yeah. 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 I live by the calendar anymore. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny when I think about it too, cause I, I'm not like a super organized person. I never have been. And, mm-hmm. but, but it, you get to a point in life where, I mean, I, I really depend on that thing or I would flat out forget, I would forget, uh, exact times when I set up to record podcasts. I've got stuff with my day job that I, yeah, I've, I live by that thing. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. by far. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy that our calendars dominate our lives so much, but at the same time, it's an incredibly useful tool. And, you know, in the space we're talking about, it allows me to book out time where I make sure that I don't double book myself, you know, when mm-hmm. I want to go on a hunt or things like that. So that's, you know, that's incredibly important. Do you, do you actually put your hunts into your calendar? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, so, I do too. <laughs> well, it, we, we had to start doing it a few years back because there were enough of us that, um, between the two, you know, we've got Eastman's hunting TV here. That's been on the outdoor channel since I believe 99 and launched beyond the grid TV here. Um, Oh, 2016, I believe. So we've had that going for a little while. And because of, you know, everybody going in different places, we all had to sit down and actually plan and make sure we knew where cameras were going. And, you know, if it was a, if it was a hunt that we were planning on filming, we had to be very intentional with it. And so, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, and, but it, it does make it nice when you don't have to bring a camera along because you could actually 
people and, you know, just really, really just have that, that trip with dad, so to speak. You know, I have a few of those hunts every year. Just, I make sure I take them so that it, it, it never becomes work because if it becomes work, then it's, you know, then it's not nearly as much from. Totally, man. Um, I, I learned that from the, I, I don't know if you know this, I used to play in a band and uh, I was I was the front man in this kind of like country rock band, you know, and we toured all over the place playing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happened. I, I went from, I, I loved playing music, especially in front of a crowd and all, all this stuff to, it became this job that it the they would like book us through hunting season and and you know i wouldn't ever get a hunt i never got to fish i I was constantly on the go with this band and um that's kind of what killed it for me i was like you know what this is not the life i want it turned it into a job and it like kind of killed my love for playing music so Mm -hmm. um, yeah i I would never want hunting to get like that so well that's that's funny i did not know you were in a band yeah, so, yeah. Uh, back in the well, day. That's cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's why I don't remember half of my twenties, man. <laughs> so, that's funny. Yeah. So, um, well, sometime off script, I'll have to tell you. Uh, I, I own a Gibson J40, so oh. music is, is a big part of my life too. So, oh, right on. Right but on. That's not uh, not Western hunting, so I won't I won't drag you down that path yet. Well, it, so. there's there's ways to incorporate it, uh, Scott. I, I always take my guitar when I'm going to elk camp or something, and, <laughs> and there's nothing better than playing around a campfire, and and that's where I still love music. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I I really um, got out of it because of because of that, like you said, mm-hmm. the, just turning it into a job. So you're down, mm-hmm. you're in Powell, Wyoming. Yep, we are in Powell, Wyoming. Yeah, we can. We joke that we can see Yellowstone from here, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's it's a cool area to live. It's a um, I enjoy where it is. Now the winters can be brutal, you know. Um, they can they can be long, and you know we're still getting snow. And while we're recording on the second of May, you know, so like up in the high country or down in town, we actually had some down down in town last week. Oh wow! So. Everything that hit the Black Hills hit us first. So we didn't get quite as much as they did, but we definitely got some. You know, so high country got a lot more, but we we definitely had some. There were more than, you know, I get up before work and go work out at the gym. And there was more than one morning where I'm walking out to my vehicles and I'm walking through a skiff of snow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> I think your winters are a little worse than mine. We had snow on Easter, but that was the last last time down here. Mm-hmm. But I still can't get to my uh, my bear hunting spot because of the dang snow. It's still covered the road. Um, now, so just so people know, like Powell is mm-hmm. what twenty minutes out of Cody, twenty thirty minutes or so. Yep. Um, I used yep. to love that drive between Cody and Powell. Um, I used like I used to see these monster whitetail out in those the you know the agricultural fields out there the the farm or yep. I, don't, I don't know what the hell they're growing there, but um the whitetails love that are they still out there those huge whitetails that just kind of hang out they're you know so it's a it's a type three license here um very low odds even for residents it's actually low odds oh really Um, but yeah yep it's gotten to so there's a general tag for residents and so you can you can hunt for whitetails november basically the first 11 days in november usually um that could change so we'll see what they what the regs actually say when they come out um but there's a, a a season that they have there. And then after that, they have the type three, which is basically gives you the entire month of November. 
the proposal that's I, I believe got approved. Not again, the final will show up in the regulations, but I believe they actually made that type three run all the way through December. And you know, I think the logic is they're really trying to hit the um, areas where they found CWD. They're really targeting the mule deer, oh, yeah. and not the mule deer. Excuse me, the white-tailed deer. And and so in doing that, this this particular type three in this region could. Um, could see a lot more tags, so maybe easier to draw. But the you know when you put more pressure on them, they're either going to go a lot more nocturnal, or there will be fewer of them to hunt. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll see. We're kind of in a weird space on that particular hunt. There were definitely big whitetails here. I've seen a few come out of this region, um, but you know we'll see what happens. This the CW CWD um, discussion that we're having statewide has definitely been something that's on a lot of people's minds, and and Wyoming Game and Fish is definitely trying to work through that and make sure they make sure they make the right decisions. I'm a little concerned if we do too much late season stuff. Are we? Do we really understand CWD well enough to go chasing after with a sledgehammer? Yeah. Um, you know, that's my, we could use a fly slaughter, but we're going with a sledgehammer is what I'm a little concerned about, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll see with time. I, we're kind of dealing with the same thing in Idaho. They opened up a, a, a limited entry area. I, well, they didn't open, it's still limited entry, but there's a hell of a lot more tags this year because they found there was like six mule deer, uh, that, that had tested positive for CWD. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the problems doing this over the phone is I my phone will start beeping in when <laughs> I think oh, there's yeah. a way to prevent that, but I don't know how to do that. So anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what were we talking? Oh, the CWD issue. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, yeah, yeah, Idaho's kind of going through the whole the motion of you know let's let's uh, you know kill harvest whatever you want to call it more deer in that area to see if we can you, you know kind of suppress it or, or whatever but i i'm kind of with you where i i'm not sure the information is there and i don't know i, I don't know what the answer is I, I think a lot of people are struggling with it just because nobody really has it, it's created a lot of contention in central Idaho. yes uh, i imagine it's the same there it it definitely is and, and the biggest issue is that number one like and we wrote this in a blog and, and let me be clear i am not the authority that um, brandon is brandon mason wrote a blog for us on blog.eastmans.com and he wrote and talked about several things because he was actually you know the guy who's been our our lead ad salesman for the last uh, almost 12 years i believe maybe a little longer than that mm-hmm. um yeah he's been here a long time um, but the guy who's doing that, he's actually a trained biologist, believe it or not. And oh. so he actually works for North Dakota Game and Fish, the Old Deer Foundation, like sat on different advisory boards. So he has a lot of background in this. So you know, he, he's got he's got the credentials to ask these questions. And one of his biggest concerns is that and even doing some research for this most recent piece, he how do we know that this thing is 100 percent lethal? Because every animal we're testing is dead. You know, True. we're not cat. We're not catching the. We haven't figured out the proper way to um, live test in a real healthy way. Guys, me, we got we got a little cut off. We're we're talking about CWD and and how some of the fish and game agencies are reacting to it. Uh, and Scott was in the middle of a thought, and we kind of lost him there. So he's gonna he's gonna pick that back up because that was important information. What I'm what I'm concerned about my my biggest concern is that we're 
we're making decisions that could end up having long-term impacts. And we've got these mature animals that are the, the majority of what's coming through check stations. Everybody's chasing mature animals, especially in the draw areas, but also like Longest Region G, for example, even though it's a general area, vast majority of the people are chasing after mature bucks. And we've also got a stipulation there on antler restrictions. That's got to be a three point or better on one side. So therefore you're getting the older animals. Well, that creates a population set where you have its majority mature animals that are getting tested. And so now we're saying, well, it's mature, mature animals that are carrying it. Do we know that? Well, no, we don't know that. And so it, it skews the data and then we struggle with the, the testing, not knowing exactly what we, what we have because everything that's getting tested is, is definitely dead. Mm-hmm. And so not having that live test puts puts our biologists in a, in a rough spot where they're trying to make decisions, but they're stuck between the public. They want to make the right decisions. I don't know any biologist that doesn't want to make the right decisions for um, for the big game populations. I don't know any of them that don't want healthy populations of all the animals that are under their, you know, under their guard. And so, you know, they've got my respect in trying to do that and they're, and they're balanced, you know, they're on a balancing act and it's hard. It's not an easy thing for them to be able to do. But my biggest concern is that they may get a lot of pushback that, dude, you got to deal with CWD and we might make decisions that we can't undo, especially based yeah. on the age of the deer that we're, we're killing because, like migrations, you kill off a whole age class, that migration knowledge is gone. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got young bucks that they've lost that migration knowledge. They, they travel, obviously, you know, the mature deer travel together. So that's a problem. That's a, a big issue in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Isn't there, I, I thought like in the Midwest or, or somewhere they had this pretty extensive CWD study where uh, they were able to monitor these these deer that they knew had CWD that eventually died from it. Is that is that not a thing, or did I hear that wrong? Because there's, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, misinformation out there about CWD. Um, but you know, and this was like hearsay you, from my end, so I, I don't know. There's, there have been a lot of studies done, and this is where I'll give my disclaimer, like where Brandon is our guy who's very. Um, very informed on these issues um, because of his background where he can he'll read through the um, the biologist language and be able to talk through and, and speak uh, to speak to laymen about how this is actually working because that's one of the problems we have too is that everybody everybody inside their own little niches and job and workforce areas you've all got your own little language that you speak a lot of us don't like to think like that but we do yeah you know? for sure um you know, my, for instance, my first meeting, I sat down here at Eastman's, we have a Monday morning meeting and I hear all these abbreviations for things in the magazine. Um, you know, so a hardcore field test is an HCFT. Well, to the whole world that reads the magazine is hardcore field test. Well, biologist world, there's a lot of things they've got that they speak and standards speak, but the public isn't going to understand those. So Brandon will read a report and he'll make it and in, in, interpret it for all of us. Um, and so that's an advantage that we we have in in, in having here him here on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the reports that are out there, you know, there's there's a lot of studies. The bit, my response probably to that particular study is we know that CWD is encouraged inside in, inside captive populations. So you've got. 
if they're if they're not able to if they're not looking at wild animals not able to get a wild test that's going to be a challenge no matter yeah. what because cwd we know for a fact that that where the vast majority of it started being tracked and we don't know how long how long this things existed you know just to be be 100 clear that you know we know that those type of tests where they're tracking it inside inside that kind of population like a captive population yeah that's it's bad when that happens we mm-hmm. i i'm i'm not in favor of game farms um for that reason because we don't know some of the long-term effects of those those type of those type of operations so that's what really scares me about that are you talking like a high fence kind of area yep yeah. like one well, they did if I remember, I know hold me to this, um, you know, so your audience, please don't string me up, but this has been a long time since I took hunter safety. And that was the first time that I actually heard about CWD. But if I remember right, the first time they found CWD was a captive mule deer, um, that were not doing well. And then they identified it with the pre on there as CWD. And that's when they started really testing for it. And it, it was captive, captive mule deer, I believe. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I always feel there. There's a couple things that, and I know we're going to talk about a couple of different topics on this episode. That, like, I, I don't. I, I always feel like I'm out of place with the conversation because I, I don't have a lot of information personally on CWD, and I think that that is kind of because, you know, it, where I primarily hunt, CWD is is non-existent. There, nobody's ever had, you know, a deer or an elk or any kind of ungulate species that's tested positive. In the, in the units that I hunt at home, there has been, when I've hunted out of state, um, you know, concern for CWD or whatever. Um, I, I think I had one deer tested and it was negative. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> I just, it's not something I put a lot of effort into knowing. And so I always feel kind of yeah. dumb <laughs> when I talk on the yeah. subject. Uh, but anyway, it's, I know it's a complicated issue. I know it, it, it drives a lot of contention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's people that are, they have, you know, they're, they're one way with CWD and the other people that are, are like, it's a non-issue. Um, and, and I have heard that it did kind of develop in a high fence area, but I, I don't know for sure. I, I, I really, I, yep. yeah, I am, I'm clueless with it. So my, my take on it is this, is that it's definitely worth tracking. It's definitely worth monitoring. It's definitely worth researching. But I do worry that, you know, unfortunately what happens is once something becomes an issue and money becomes available, it can become an all-consuming fire. Mm-hmm. And so... Hence coronavirus. That, yes. And so people are going to study it. They're going to study it to death. And they're always going to be chasing the money to be able to continue studying it. You know, because they're just, you know, they're just one year shy on their research, which, you know, don't get me wrong. They're hardworking people. They're doing what they're, they're doing what they're doing. But then at some point we have to reach some conclusions too. Yeah. And that's what, that's what scares me is that we're not getting there. And what I'd love to see is us reach some conclusions on, on managing it properly and not, you know, not taking the sledgehammer approach, rather, you know, let's use a fly swatter for flies and let's use sledgehammer where sledgehammer is needed. But it also takes them away from researching other things, you know, other big things that are important. So yeah, there's, yeah, you yeah. know, there's issues with that too. So for sure. Um, and I don't know. I, 
I'm always hesitant to go down this road, but the the last couple of years has made me a very skeptical kind of individual when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It just it just has. I mean, you watch you you try to digest what the media is saying and what you know so-called leadership is saying about you know, the, the cause and effect of this and that. And, and then you come to find out it's just like, it's not true. Um, you know, and uh, again, not, I, I'm always hesitant to go down this road. Well, that depends on the day. Sometimes I'm not. (laughs) Um, but I mean, it's like just a conversation of where coronavirus came from. You know, they're talking about it coming from a damn bat, which didn't feel right in my gut. I mean, I'm no doctor. Yep. But something didn't add up with that, um, you know, especially I, I'm a hunter, yep. so it, it just, something wasn't adding up. And then, yep. you know, then come to find out everybody's leaning towards, no, it came from this Wuhan lab. But if you said that a year ago, you were a nut job and a conspiracy yep. theorist. I, I just like all of that shit piles up and, and now I'm like skeptical as all get out. And, and I, yep. I don't know, we could probably yeah. have non-recorded conversations about that in, in greater detail. <laughs> <laughs> you you and me both on, on, on that. I mean, like, <laughs> I I will quote one of my favorite podcasters, um, and, you know, and everyone will label me a far-right extremist, so I apologize, you know, if you get, like, banned for me saying this. But I, <laughs> I listen to I listen to Dan Bongino fairly regularly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so he um, – one of the things that he says pretty regularly is, I would rather be right than first. Yeah. And so he'll – He'll come on and say, hey, we're still doing research on this. I'm not reporting anything on this until we have it right. I'm probably two days, going to be two days later than everyone. But some of the stuff isn't adding up quite right. So we'll talk about it in two days. And so for me, that that kind of says a lot more about probably the approach we need to take to media and things of that nature. Isn't it interesting that somebody like him wants to take a reasonable approach to something to ensure accuracy before verbally vomiting some belief Mm -hmm. all over the place. Like, like the, these, these mainstream media types, just, you know, they're, you could just feel the agenda behind what they're reporting. And then you get somebody, Mm -hmm. you get somebody like Deanne who, um, Again, he he comes. He wants to be accurate. That this is a reasonable approach to what he's doing. He wants to have credibility, but he's the one labeled as some extremist. It's it's bizarre. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I Scott, we didn't really give you a proper introduction, man. I think we got <laughs> we got yakking. Okay. And um, we did. I tell everybody you're with Eastman's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know you're kind of on the publishing side and you have a lot to do with tag hub and, and so okay. my ignorance is going to open a perfect segue and gate for you to okay. kind of explain, you know, a, what you do at Eastman's. I, I think that unless people have been living in a cave in Afghanistan, they, we all know who Eastman's is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and so what do you do for them? So my, my role is, um, I do, primarily digital media projects, including podcasts. So podcasts are like, they're my baby. So all the podcasts that um, that we own, it's my responsibility to manage them, make sure they're going out in a timely fashion. Um, then I also do a lot of our consumer sales, which is Tag Hub. Um, and then I also um, 
do the consumer sales and business development are all tied together. Um, so that that works there. So whenever there's a whenever there's a project you hear that we've been saying we've been working on for two years, chances are, um, especially if it's on a digital side or a digital platform, chances are my fingerprints are on it. And so that's um, that's something that I work on uh, um, quite a bit. Now Eastman's Tag Hub is really the fruition of 30 years of work where Guy and Ike said that, you know what, we've been doing the members research section, which is all the 11 Western states research. We have been working on that. We've been developing that. Now we want to put it in a form where people can see all of it. One of the biggest constraints we had with print was that Man, a magazine can only be so big. I can't, like, if I had to put all the data that I put in Tag Hub, we would have 200 page, um, 200 page magazines. Yeah, it'd which, be more like a book. <laughs> yes. At that point. And that, that's just not feasible. So at first, when the members research section happened, you know, we published the best of the best units, helped people who are really, you know, really striving for that trophy hunt. And then over time, people started requesting that, hey, we want more. We want we want all the units. We want to see that. And so in uh, at the at March 1st, 2020, I launched Tag Hub. <laughs> and mm-hmm. lo and behold, the economy shut down. And, you know, I thought it was going to be like, oh, man, how's this going to happen? And all thanks to a bat in China. All thanks to a bat in China. And so we <laughs> launched Tag Hub. And it went over really well. We did a very soft launch with it at first because I had, I'll call them my best of the best subscribers. They're, they're forum members on Eastmans.com. So they, mm-hmm. I launched it to them and I let them order at a smoking deal um, first and said, hey, we want you guys to really um, see this and get to test this out. I want your feedback and we'll make this like, you know, Basically, I didn't make money, you know, on it for a year because I was like, we got to test this. And I want all the best of the best. And I want the feedback from these guys. Man, they were awesome. They um, they basically were agreed to be my beta testers for about a year. And they they did really well. Um, they gave me lots of great feedback that we were able to use, like a lot of filter improvements that we made in that first year, as well as data that um, we wanted to make standardized to make sure that it went um, went out the way we wanted it to go out and displayed the way we wanted it to be displayed and things of that nature. And so then, then we got into our second cycle and we really started pushing out that, okay, now we can really do um, some expansion of the analysis. So inside Tag Hub, there's, there's a drop down where it says, um, gives you a list of states. And it says maps and charts. Well, maps and charts are where you can filter and you can visually display all your units. But we've got another piece that's called the expert analysis. Yep. Well, one of the most frustrating pieces inside Tag Hub was that, man, I'd write these, these huge things. I write the MRS for Nevada as well. And so I'd write these huge pieces for Nevada. We'd have to cut it down to fit inside the magazine. Again, page restraint uh, or page constraints, excuse me. And so we were able in digital form to really expand these. So like this year in Nevada, I was able to add some of my favorite units to say, Hey, if you're in the middle of the road on points, these are some you should consider just to keep your name, name in there and be able to work on that sort of thing. So that was a, that was a big deal. We were able to add that kind of expanded content. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, that, the analysis part. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I, I believe just, yeah, I believe just about everybody got some um, expanded content and all that expert analysis. 
But then on top of that, one of the other things we just found out, um, or that we just launched, I shouldn't say found out, but you know, again, because of page page count constraints, we'd always get these these awesome stories from people, and we were never able to 100% get that entire story in there. We always had to trim them down. You know, sometimes combine paragraphs, and you know, you know, our editors have been really good about making sure that people's stories get told. But you know, sometimes you find out from a guy like, oh man, why'd you? Why'd you cut that? You know, or how'd you, you know, it's still right, but there's a lot of little bunch of little details and descriptors. Well, now what we've done is we're able to tell that entire story, yeah. you know? And so inside the digital, you'll see there's a place where you can read the digital magazine. So we've got it, we've got it there. Eventually we'll get it to look like, look like a regular blog, um, you know, but people, some people are still like being able to flip on their computer and see that. So we've got that there. Mm-hmm. And so there it's expanded. You can actually see the entire magazine, but the feature stories are expanded. And so we launched that with the sheep issue, which was two issues ago in EHJ. And it's been pretty, it's been pretty cool to, to be able to do that, you know, to be able to serve the customer well, to really let them tell their whole story, you know, cause that's, when Mike Eastman started the magazine, that was his goal. Let this be about you and your buddies around a campfire. Pretend you're telling hunting stories to each other. For sure. You know, and so that was that was cool for you know cool to be able to add that that expanded content. But you know, then we said, okay, now we've got all this this written content. How do we move this to to the next level? And that next level, we decided is you know what we've got all this video that we can put out there, and so. If you don't have a um, the ability to watch Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel, you can now watch it on Eastman's Tag Hub, and you can see all our current episodes. Like what's airing on on TV is what you will find That's on Tag Hub. On once you're signed in the Read Watch tab. Okay, I found yep. it. I, I'm, I'm, yep. I'm I'm on the website as we're as we're going through this here. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, you're kind of getting a tutorial here. As I well. am, man. I need it. I need all the help I can get with with this kind of technology, dude. <laughs> so um, we are able to do that. And so one of the things we also said is, you know what? We get these Beyond the Grid episodes. This is our web TV show that you find on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So why can't we launch these early? You know, we put them into a schedule for YouTube and things like that. Why can't we put them on Tag Hub, you know, say a month before? And so we've started doing that. And so I, I've heard rumors that we've got about five episodes kind of getting getting edited right now for Beyond the Grid. So it's going to be a pretty cool Beyond the Grid season. I'm excited to see all the content that um, you know, our video team in particular, Dan Picard, who's a field producer for that, um, in particular what they've put together. I'm really excited to, to see that. But Tag Hub um, will have most of those early too. So that's a pretty cool, pretty cool deal there. So um, – can I can yeah. I ask a question about Tag okay. Hub uh, from like a user standpoint um, benefits? I, I it, it's not really off subject. I was going to say I don't mean to go off subject, but it, it is on on target here. Okay. Um, we let's say we've got a a hunter that lives in the state of Idaho. I'll just I'll use Idaho because okay. I live here. Okay. Uh, and you know he's super enthusiastic he goes out every season he gets an elk every once in a while whatever and he's getting to the point where maybe it's time to go try some new states mm-hmm. right um can you walk us through somebody who because because you guys you guys are like absorbed in this life right yeah I, I mean you you're in freaking cody powell wyoming 
you're right there at the epicenter of, of uh, the, the Yellowstone ecosystem and Montana and Idaho and Wyoming right there. And you guys, you know, do this for a living. What about the dude that is looking to, he's got the money uh, to put in for a tag in, in another state, maybe Wyoming or Montana or Utah or whatever. Mm-hmm. What is his benefit to jump in and get get a membership to Tag Hub and find out like beneficially for him the best and, and I don't mean to use just him him or her mm-hmm. right um I, I always have to clarify that or I get nasty emails <laughs> <laughs> so a hunter um you know jumps on there walk us through what somebody who is not absorbed to this they've got a regular day job but they want to go try a, another hunt in another state and have the highest odds to notch attack does that make sense yep so where I would start is this. So, you know, get your membership. I would definitely say look into the elite annual um, because that's going to give you the most bang for your buck there. Um, and then what happens is you'll have the magazines delivered to you year round. So it's a reminder, you know, a reminder to log in, reminder to do your research. But we've always preached a four state strategy. And um, now I would even say with our current current circumstances, I would be building even more than that because you're, you're fighting point creep and things like that. And you're probably with the current, the current scenario, I'll, I'll, I'll circle around to how I'm getting there here in a, in a minute. Um, you're going to have a lot more long shots that you're playing because of the sheer number of people that jumped in because of COVID. Yeah. Um, and so we'll see what happens. It's going to take a couple more years for that all to level out and, and then also, in all honesty, people are going to find out that it's expensive to be playing this in a lot of different states. Um, but for somebody starting brand new, what you do is you buy that membership. And I would start on expert analysis and, you know, just use Wyoming as an example. I use that because Guy is so clear in, in writing this down. Um, but Wyoming typically has been what we consider an opportunity state. So say you live in Idaho, but you want to create some more opportunity for yourself. What I would do is, you know, for most blue collar people doing, say, two elk hunts a year is going to be huge. You know, so you have your home state, which is your backyard, and then you pick an opportunity state. And then you also have a state that you're only going to hunt once every five years, maybe six. And then you also build up your once in a lifetime type hunt. That's usually your Arizona or New Mexico um, for elk. Nevada would definitely be it. Nevada is definitely a once every five years for mule deer. If you play, if you play it right, uh, so it, it really comes down to understanding that. We'll start with the expert analysis and read each state overview, and decide which states are the best for you to be in personally. And every one of them has a little bit different different way they do that. Um, for instance, Wyoming for non-residents is a, is a straight preference point state, so you're building points, and it takes X amount of points in either the regular draw or the special draw there are two draws you can pay a little more money and get in on the special draw or you can do the regular draw which has a little bit lower odds most of the time i've seen some years where the special had exactly the same so you paid more for the same odds Um, they don't cap it on number of people getting in early um, so that you could have more people apply for the special than what um, kind of what's what's planned um but like nevada on the other hand um I'm speaking really to what I know really well. Sure. But Nevada is a state where it is it is a weighted bonus point system. And what that means, and I'm going to say a mouthful here, and 
it's kind of crazy, but it'll it'll make it, it makes sense when you think about it. So what happens is, say I have um, ten bonus points in the state of Nevada. Well, that means the number of applications are my bonus points squared plus one for the year that I'm applying. So that would mean you have 101 applications in the system. Every one of those applications in Nevada's system is assigned a random number. You want low numbers in Nevada's draw system. So what happens then is your first application that will be reviewed is your lowest number. And this is per species, by the way. So you have a different application for each species. So say, say I want to hunt elk in, um, in the great state of Nevada, and I've got 10 points, so I have 101 applications in. So what happens then is my, my lowest number gets reviewed. And let's just say I was number five. So I drew the jackpot. Mm-hmm. So that means um, you know, one of the hardest units to draw currently um, is the Jarbridge Wilderness in, the, in uh, so z- 072 inside Nevada. It's a whole unit group. But say you draw 072. Well, that would be, you know, and you put that first. Well, that's the first one I got there. But because I had 10 points, the system goes through my whole application. So if I'm 10 years into that Nevada system, I'm putting top-notch units on every single choice. Um, top, not, not just top-notch units, top-notch hunts, because there are some that have early, middle, and late. And so you have more than one opportunity to draw the same. Like I'm going to stack my application this year for Nevada where, you know, I've got early, middle and late on the same unit because I really believe in a couple of the units um, or the unit groups. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how I'm going to do it because I'm in the system a little ways, but you may as well shoot for the moon if you have no points because it's completely random based on the low number that you're assigned. In, in In that unit in Nevada, you mean? The, well, in that, on your application. Oh, whoops. There we go. I just pulled it up. Yep. There we go. Yep. So on your application, whatever that lowest, whatever application out of that 101, because you had 10 bonus points, whatever one had the lowest number, that's the one that's most likely to get reviewed. And so say you draw, then all of your, um, you know, then all your applications are out. You know, so everybody's odds change after that because there's now 101 applications that left the pool. So. Gotcha. Yeah, how okay. crazy is that? Yeah, no, it's nuts, and, and it's that's why something like this tag hub is is such a powerful tool because, like guys like me, I I don't have the patience to sift through pages and pages and pages of information and data uh, to figure this stuff out. And so, like when when you guys put it all together, like it, it clarifies a lot of things in a very fast way for a guy like me. Um, I was mm-hmm. able to even learn things. I jumped on and I was going through some of the units in Idaho uh, for some of the limited entry draw mm-hmm. for elk. And I learned things that I thought I knew, but I was wrong <laughs> about how yep. it worked. Um, and so, so that's way cool because yep. now it makes it seem more feasible for somebody like me, uh, because I've always been the kind of guy that's like, you know, I, I've got my buddy Scott down in, uh, you know, Powell, Wyoming. I can call him up and be like, Hey dude, what unit should I put <laughs> Please in for? Do. And sometimes, sometimes that, that works. And other times I get led astray, you know, <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. um, this just kind of helps really dial it in so that, you know, somebody who, who is like me that wants to hunt another state, um, isn't going to end up waiting or I'm sorry, wasting, you know, a thousand bucks on a tag for a, for an area that, that it's just not, not a great unit or, or, or whatever, you know, just, yep. just getting the tag in general. 
Uh, so yep. again, very basic, very elementary level kind of stuff for for a lot of people that don't have the time to sift through all this information without some help. And and I yep. like Tag Hub because it's very specific to the eleven Western states. Let's take a quick break to give our show sponsors some well-deserved love. Let's start with Scree Extreme Mountain Gear. High-performance hunting attire and gear. Scientifically tested camo patterns. Complete layering systems. And in my opinion, the finest merino wool products to keep you warm, dry, and comfortable. It's all backed by a great company. Some of my personal favorites of the in the Scree lineup are the hard scrabble pants uh, for early to mid-season. And then as it gets colder, I switch to the Kodiak pants for late season. The Bridger glassing mitts are like game changers, and I love the Nebo rain gear. Scree offers great packages on the website as bundles, like the elk bundle, that will completely outfit you for your favorite hunt. Oh, and my favorite part? You won't need to refinance your house to get outfitted. Try the starter bundle for less than 500 bucks. It's an insane deal. With the VIP sizing guarantee, you can exchange something that doesn't fit for free. I just had to do this for something that I got my wife. It was a little big, so I just sent it back. They covered the shipping both ways and exchanged it for the right size. So go to ScreeGear.com and at checkout, use promo code TheWesternHuntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Phelps Game Calls, one thing that I love about companies that are born out of hunting is their story. Like Phelps Game Calls, the American success story that walks us through how something started small and grew into something big. Like Phelps, he started this company kind of as a hobby in his garage in 2009. Now, a little over a decade later, Phelps is one of the premier hunting call companies on the planet for good reason. They're the most realistic calls on the market, and that is saying something. Check out the AMP lineup. For predator calls like the 3-pack POR123 or the Fawn in Distress, check those out. Turkey calls, get a diaphragm, a pot call, or a box call, and a complete line of waterfowl calls. Hit up the website, and at checkout, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Phelps Game Calls, get them close. The Elk Collective, the best investment for hunting success is what's between your ears. Having elk hunting knowledge is what separates those who succeed every once in a while against those who notch tags every year. There's a very fine line there, and there's a perfect amount of time for listening to this now to get through the entire course before September. Improve your chances with a virtual course of over 140 videos that cover things like how to get elk tags throughout the West, scouting and e-scouting, beginner to advanced elk calling, gear, fitness, nutrition, shooting processes, hunting scenarios, strategies, and tons more. They've got some very big names on this platform that give you their personal expertise as you go through the course. It's the best way to make you the best elk hunter as you get into the woods. So go to theelkcollective.com and use promo code THEWESTERNHUNTSMAN for $20 off. It's normally 89 bucks, so when you use my promo code, it's going to be the best $69 you've spent on elk hunting, and I guarantee you it's worth every penny. Check it out, guys. Hoffman Boots, let me give you guys a piece of advice from a dude with many miles on his feet. Never skimp on quality hunting boots. Hoffman Boots is a fourth-generation, family-owned company based in North Idaho. I've been sporting a pair of Hoffmans for close to a decade, particularly 
I like the Hoffman Explorer and the 8-inch. In my most humble opinion, again, Hoffman offers the most comfortable hunting boot that does the least amount of damage to my feet after several miles on the mountain. Very little break-in period on these boots, by the way. Uh, I took them right out of the box and went on a crazy elk hunt, not even a blister. For hunting, they have the Explorers in the Summit boot, offered in insulated and non-insulated. And ladies, check out the new women's Hoffman Explorer 400. They also carry lineman boots, winter pack boots, logging boots, and hiking boots. Get totally outfitted at HoffmanBoots.com and at checkout. As you know, it's coming. Use promo code, all caps lock, HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Last but not least, Tacticam. If you're interested in self-filming your hunts, whether for you know memories or making hunting content, check out the Tacticam products like the Spotter LR, Tacticam 5.0, and the Film Through Scope system, all of which are available at westernhuntsman.com, which helps support our fight against the anti-hunting movement. But my favorite is the Tacticam Reveal cell cams. I use these cell cams all over my property, and I'm like obsessed with monitoring the wildlife in real time with these cameras. They not only text me instantly when a buck or a bear is cruising through, my reveals make for excellent security systems. I know when the FedEx dude is delivering packages way down at the bottom of our driveway. And I also know if some knucklehead shows up to try to steal them. I know when someone's trespassing or if I have the kind of wildlife roaming around that I don't want, you know, like a coyote. And uh, I quickly react with my cat-like reflexes. Great for trappers, great for hunters, uh, security, anything. Guys, check it out at Tacticam.com because I don't have the reveals on my website right now. Uh, Let them know I sent you. Tacticam.com. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. Yes, it is very specific, and that's that's by design. I mean, we've we've talked about expanding, um, you know, basically beyond what what we kind of consider west and into more what's Midwest, and we haven't found a way that we feel like will be really valuable um, to the subscriber yet. But it's in the works hmm. because that's constantly, um, you know, constantly there. But the thing is, South Dakota and North Dakota, they're very different animals than just across the border into Montana. Um, And, you know, in like North Dakota, don't I don't think they even do non-resident elk tags, do they? I don't believe they do elk tags. I might have to ask. Brandon's actually from North Dakota, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yep. And so that was the game and fish department he worked for. Um, But. I don't believe they do non-resident, but don't quote me on that because I haven't done enough research on that state. I'm pretty um, sure they don't. So, but, the, but when you look at it from the, um, <clears throat> when you look at it where, you know, they're very different animals, we want to be able to represent that visually. A big part of the maps and charts inside of Tag Hub is giving everyone a really good visual of what, where, and why inside mm-hmm. the state. And that's that's what Tag Hub is really all about, and so that's where we leverage all of the experience that um, that guy has in writing the MRS, as well as you know the company history of being able to okay, these are the numbers that really matter in these eleven Western states, and these are the things that um, you know from do it yourself all the way to guys that run outfitted hunts, you know, like I would I would encourage guys who want to do outfitted hunts to check out the unit inside of Tag Hub. 
And then don't be afraid to ask your outfitter why that was success because he may tell you, well, yeah, I can tell you why it was successful because my private land hunt was where all the success came from, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that you can validate there um, because a marginal hunt still probably has a 350 bull in it. It's oh, just where, sure. yeah. you know, yeah. is it on a, is it on a, is it on a private ranch, you know, that's outfitted? Are you a guy who wants to go on outfit? Huh, that's fine. You know, but be able to figure out what you want and do the research and understand what's there. And, you know, the way that we've got it set up where it's a subscription, you know, with you can do the elite annual where it'll, it'll, you know, you, you buy it at the beginning of the year and then it won't hit you for another year. Or you can do it where it's just set up like your Netflix where it just bills you each month and, you know, you don't even have to worry about it. And what and is, so, what does that cost for, for the monthly? The monthly for the elite for annual elite? is fourteen ninety nine a month. Oh, okay, fourteen. So fifteen bucks a month. Yep. Um, and that gives you access to all these states, and then yep. all, obviously all the content throughout. Yep. Um, yep. God, Wyoming's an interesting state, man. Your units are teeny. It, it, it feels like it. I mean, like when you well, let me pull up Wyoming here, so I'm looking at the same map you are. It kind of just depends on. There are some that are huge. Yeah, like, there is like know. that. 135 is pretty big, but. Uh, yep. 135 uh, is pretty big. 131 yeah. is big. That's the, actually 131 is, is it's a little bit different for elk. It's one area, 100 for, um, for elk, but oh, it's must, big. I think I'm on the deer. Yeah, I am. Let me switch. Yeah, I'm on deer too. Um, so 135 is, is a big unit. 143 is pretty big. Um, 144, that's all a region G, what you're looking at right there. Whoops. Um, what the heck did I do? And so, um, have you, do you ever get down to Pinedale? Oh yeah. Do you? Yep. That's, uh, um, sorry, I'm looking at the map and trying to talk at the mm-hmm. same time. It doesn't work. Um, <laughs> I love Pinedale, man. That, uh, I used to go up there and fly fish all the time. Yep. Um, it's, now, it's a cool area. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it still like growing like crazy, like the rest of Wyoming, or is it? It is. Has it balanced well, out? It is. Wyoming. Wyoming is kind of funny because we get the growth that we're getting a lot of. For the vast majority, is um, there's a lot of vacation homes in areas like that, mm-hmm. and so there's people that they only live there a couple weeks a year, maybe. They can't hack um, the winter. Well, it's, yeah, Pinedale winter is, is no joke. No, I, mean, it's I, not. I played hockey there growing up and, you know, I played outside hockey at negative 10, you know, <laughs> and, and it was, and that was the high. So my, my um, wife and I, funny story, man, we were, we were looking at moving to Pinedale at some, this was years ago <laughs> and there she grabbed it. We were, we were in Pinedale. She grabs a newspaper and there's a story about, um, some, a uh, couple of kids that uh, got got kind of run over by a moose at waiting for their bus, <laughs> and and the moose kind of you know didn't really hurt them, but you know knocked them down and you yep. know, whatever, and that killed it. She's like, I'm not moving to a town where moose are attacking the kids, and now now <laughs> now where we live, the moose are coming through all the time. <laughs> anyway, that's um, funny. Yeah, Pine. Do I wonder if those uh, they, they had this like cabin hotel or motel thing in mm-hmm. Pinedale where those little ca- mini cabins, you can rent the cabin. Um, yep. is that still there? I, I, I believe so. There's, 
you know, VRBO has opened up a lot of opportunities for people to, you know, share their their spaces and let people look at things like that. So that's that's definitely there. Um, yeah. You know, it's, sure it's it's grown. If there's if there's a place in Wyoming that people are you know are developing, it's we're seeing a little bit of that. But you know, I believe our last census we were pretty well pretty well flat. You know, so the development that that, that a lot of people are seeing is that it's a um, it is definitely the people moving in and, you know, making a summer home, things of that nature. Mm, yeah. So I guess I don't blame them if I had that kind of money. So here's here's what you guys need to do. You jump on Tag Hub, get you a membership, get you a tag, and stay in those little cabins in Pinedale, Wyoming. It's a pretty <laughs> cool, pretty cool spot. They got full kitchens, mm-hmm. a, a shower I barely fit in, all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm six foot five, two thirty, so I don't know if that would be a good deal for me. <laughs> It'd be a tight fit for you too, man. Uh, man, that's awesome. All right, let's. So uh, while we're on this Wyoming topic, mm-hmm. um, what what talk to me a little bit about this uh, this corner crossing thing that we we were talking a little bit before <laughs> we hit yep. record. Um, the, the folks that were on trial, it just recently came out. They were found not guilty of trespassing. Mm-hmm. Yep. What, what do you think the repercussions of that are? Or maybe some of the mis misinterpretations. So, you know, let me, let me be clear. Number one, I am not a lawyer, so I can't interpret all the, the legalities and things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that, I'm probably not going to understand. Um, so the biggest thing, though, like I've written probably about half the articles that we've done on this case, I wrote them. Um, and the biggest thing that that I would say is that, man, this is complicated. Yeah. Um, this is this is going to be a challenge for for a lot a lot of years. This is going to be talked about in courts for a lot of years, and I don't know. I don't know that we're going to have an easy answer here for quite a while because like I have to walk a tightrope because, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are landowners and this does impact them. Um, And then I've also got a lot of friends who are definitely public landowners or I shouldn't say landowners, public land hunters. Um, Can I? And so, okay. Scott, what, what you just said there, you know, I, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a landowner. Of course, I mm-hmm. it's very small land, but yep. Um, I, I I'm I'm struggling to find the challenge of being a landowner in terms of how it affects me, um, with this border crossing. So you've got and and I am super ignorant with this because I don't hunt areas like this, but I know it's all over Wyoming and Montana, uh, and other states. This corn mm-hmm. cross thing, first of all, it's dumb. The, the you're like you're like crossing in air you're not touching anybody else's land and so i'm trying to find i'm struggling to find where a landowner would have some negative impact by a hunter on a public chunk of square land crossing to the next public chunk of square land uh where how does that affect a landowner can is that a fair question very fair um so one of the things that that would that I've heard from some landowners talking about this is one of the temptations that's going to come is you've got, let's say just a massive amount of checkerboard. 
Mm-hmm. Well, a guy with a long range rifle could definitely shoot from one piece of checkerboard across the private back onto the public. Um, that's kind of scary. That could be um, scary. Yeah. I could see that being a problem. So that's one piece. Um, then let's, you know, let's call human nature what it is. Um, is that there may be some guys who, who kill, you know, they kill an elk. Let's just use an elk because they're big, they're ugly, and they, you know, they, they're real ugly when you get them in a pack, you know, and it's really heavy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you, on this corner crossing piece, you don't have 10 feet of leeway. You have to cross exactly where this is at. So after a long day of packing, you know, how easy it would be to accidentally trespass, you know, sure. especially when you're having to circumvent. And so now you've got landowners who are like, well, you know, we used to let X amount of people a year, but now I've got to go patrol, you know, and make sure that um, that they're using the spaces that they're doing. So now I don't have time to, you know, talk with the guys who normally will just, you know, do access or do a trespass fee. You know, I've taken the opinion that a trespass fee is a skin in the game. You know, if you're willing to pay a landowner a trespass fee, what that says is you're is you're willing because you're willing to pay him a trespass fee. You are saying that. I respect you enough to know that this is valuable and that, you know, it's like, you know, good paperwork always makes good friends. This is, it's the same way in my mind, you know, in business, when you do good paperwork makes good friends. And so now what's going to happen is the ranchers are, are, they're now going to be worried about, um, you know, say they've got the lease for all the BLM that's there. They're now going to be concerned and worried about all the different things that, could be happening on their land and then you know could a stray bullet hit the cows and now they got to be out there patrolling and now there's a ripple effect that goes now where oh crap these guys weren't convicted well what if somebody was clearly on private land you know well that's definitely a conviction and so then now so now what i'm really concerned about is that we're now going to um Number one, there's going to be a lot of people who really because this, this case did not set precedent. Mm. You know, it was a it, it did not like it's it's very clearly does not set precedent. The one that could maybe set some precedent is the civil case that is that actually went to the federal level. Mm-hmm. If that gets discussed, there could be some working you know some working up up the up the chain that that does that. But usually, landowner rights are, are a state level issue, mm-hmm. and so we're we're talking about some muddy water here. Let, and so let's clarify what you mean, Scott, by it didn't set precedent just because I, I, I think that that's a, a super important point. What, what Scott's saying guys is these guys may have gotten a not, not guilty verdict in this particular case does not mean that you can go cross a corner yes. and get the same outcome. Right. Um, yep. so that's I just want I just want like total clarity on that because I, yeah. I you know you know how people are right we're, we're hunters <laughs> we, we we're gonna take advantage where we think we can <clears throat> if if there's if there's game over yep. there yep and so definitely especially like because this is happening in Wyoming be very careful with, with corner crossing and you know make sure you you know make sure you know where you stand all the time um, I'm not going to say hey go corner cross guys because you're gonna get off. That's not the case. You get one boot print, even like slightly on the landowner's property. And the way that it works, it's a three-dimensional thing. Like your, your property goes 500 feet into the air. And so that's where this contention is like that these guys, they cross the corner, you know, 
And in crossing the corner, they actually crossed into the airspace of of the of the landowner. Well, a jury in Wyoming did not convict them of trespassing, but there's no footprints on the landowner's space. So the jury was kind of saying no harm, no foul, you know, but what does Wyoming law say? And that's still what's going to be what's going to be argued about in court. On the and civil so like, side, you mean? <clears throat> on the civil side, and I'm betting there's going to be legislation that gets um, gets brought up and talked about. You know, I don't have any insider baseball on that, but yeah. I, yeah. you know, it'd be it'd be crazy to think that this isn't getting talked about in legislative sessions here in the very near future because there's what's probably going to happen is landowners are going to. To, to talk to a lot of state senators about, look, hey, we need some clarification on this because we thought we we knew and understood, but we don't. And then public land hunters are saying the same thing. Hey, we thought, you know, this is public land. It's, it's, it's technically touching. Why can't we hunt it? You know, so there's, there's going to be a lot of conversation back and forth. Um, I mean, in my perfect world, we have every respectful hunter be able to access the public land and, you know, not trespass and doesn't do anything crazy to a landowner's property, you know, and I hope that's the case moving forward into the future. Um, but, and, and I hope this doesn't get ugly, um, you know, where, yeah, that's where what I'm stupid worried about. people doing stupid things. Yep. That's, that, that's, that's what too. I'm worried about because I, I feel like, okay, you know, everybody's posting about, oh, big win for public land. Well, is it? Because they, so we get this not, not guilty verdict. Yep. How are landowners going to respond to, uh, in terms of pressuring legislators to make changes to this? And, 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 and I want to start. Before I go there, I think the whole thing is dumb. The the, yep. the fact that you can't just step over a corner, or whatever, that's dumb in itself. The other part that's really dumb with this is how did it even become this checkerboard um, ownership thing? Like you've got public land totally surrounded by these uh, privately owned parcels that are surrounded by these public. Like, like how does it even become that? How, who who designed that shit show? Uh, it's just it just seems stupid I, and maybe it's just because it's so foreign to me uh, we, we don't have that in my neck of the woods and and I I just can't imagine how it even came to <laughs> um, how that was set so, up does that make sense maybe you maybe so you can shine it, some light uh, yeah it is railroad so when the railroad came oh okay were, okay when they came through so if you look at like just say southern Wyoming like right along the interstate the railroad also works that mm-hmm. and so the railroad was given every other section. Um, and so the government retained the rest of it. And so there are certain sections, like I'll, I'll use, well, here's, here's another piece of the equation that like Southwest Wyoming enjoys a wonderful relationship with, um, that I believe it's like, uh, you look on a map and you can see that all over Southwest Wyoming, there's different cattle associations. I know of two of them. One of them, you don't have to get a permit. And one of them, you do have to get a permit. To, to go across their land and you don't pay for it. You just go like they have a guy that's there and he gives you the written permission. But the reason those landowners gave you, gave the written permission was because they didn't want anti hunters on there. Gotcha. And so they wanted to check every hunter, you know, something like this could change those relationships. And I don't want, I don't want that. Like that's, you know, there, there's ripple effects to, to all these things. And so it's a very delicate balance where, I want the public land hunters to have access to as much public land as possible. And then I also want, you know, I want landowners to feel valued and respected. And you know what? I want the sportsmen to treat them with respect too, you know, and 
I, I hope this doesn't push divides further. You know, and I may have a, I may not have as nearly a popular opinion as the, you know, big win for landowners. You know, that's why I've tried to report it as this is what's happened. You know, because um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it is complicated. There's a lot it's of emotion. Super, there's a lot of feelings. Super complicated. And I think a lot of the complication or actually the emotions uh, yes. and the contention, it comes out of a, a lot of, there There are a lot of people that have had no background in, you know, farming, ranching or, or you know, the, the agricultural side of it to where the there may be a slight misunderstanding as to what happens when you own this land and, and people take advantage. And, and I, I guess... One way to explain it is like as a kid growing up, my my grandpa was a was a cattle rancher, sheep farmer down in central Utah. And one of the things that that would happen during, uh, I think it was pheasant season, these hunters would would go onto his land and and he allowed it. Right, you know, this is back in the day when all the hunters were like, or I'm sorry, all the landowners were like, yeah, come hunt pheasants on the land. No no big deal. Just you know, uh, make sure you're not leaving a mess and leaving gates open, kind of thing. Yep. But um, there were a few, like, and it happened quick, like within three years. Um, at one point, one of his cows got shot by a shotgun, which didn't do a lot of damage, mm-hmm. but um, there's so lead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another time, the hunters shot, and it actually scared the cattle. They were so close to the cattle that they, they ran through and broke through the corner of a fence and got mm-hmm. out into a pasture they weren't supposed to be in, which was growing alfalfa. <laughs> that was a problem. Um, that, yeah. And so for, for somebody that, that's never been exposed to something like that, what, what happens is that is to, to a farmer or a rancher who, who runs on very minimal uh, and limited profit margins, uh, that, that is thousands and thousands of dollars when that, when that mm-hmm. happens, something like that happens. So it's not like just an inconvenience. Uh, an, yep. Another time, a barn was somehow caught on fire um, that uh, was luckily able to get put out fairly quickly, but it still cost thousands of dollars in damage to this barn to include some of the hay that was stored inside of it. And so, those are those are some of the. So I, I guess I'm talking to folks that have never been on that land ownership side or exposed to it through like family or a ranching operation or something like that, I could see how it would be super annoying to be like, gosh, why don't they just let everybody come onto the land and, and, you know, you know, access yep. it and they're, they're selfish and they shouldn't own that much land and all that kind of stuff. But from, from when you, when you kind of, if, if you could take yourself out of that and look at it from a different perspective as to, um, put yourself in their shoes. You own a ranch. Maybe you have a hundred head of yep. cattle. You don't really make money. Your your job is to break even. And if anybody's watched that really popular show, Yellowstone, uh, Kevin Costner <laughs> talks about it, yeah. right? In, in that, you know, it's the only industry where the goal is to break even. You don't really make a lot of money, but it is super easy to lose money. And, and it's small yep. things like cows breaking through a fence and eating um, and tearing up an alfalfa field that they're not supposed to be in is thousands and thousands of dollars that is not budgeted or or you know there for that that plan for it's just yep. not planned for so your whole year is shot um yep hopefully that helps some people understand that side of it not that i'm i don't have like super strong opinions on corner crossing one way or the other but i do think it's dumb that people can't just traverse to the other corner yep. but i also see 
the the, the yeah. landowner side of it. Yep. And 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 the craziest part is this is like you're literally wanting to go over a space that's about the size of a you know of a nail. You know, when yeah. you actually think of like where these four corners meet on these sections, you're going over an incredibly small space. And so the likelihood that you step on someone's property is actually fairly high. The guys in this case, they actually got made a made a device that was like a ladder that crossed over, which guaranteed they would not touch it. But is that going to be like, is everybody going to be hauling ladders around public land now? I know. You know, is that know. like, that's, this is, like I said, there are ripple effects to this. And I, I'm in support and, you know, don't, I don't want anyone to think I'm not in support of having access to our public lands or anything like that. You know, I'm 100% in favor of that, but I also have to be really clear. There's, you know, there are ripple effects and there are people who, um, you know, that this does negatively affect. Do I wish it were a little easier to grant access for public for the public to some of those checkerboard and stuff? Absolutely. And I think that was the intent of, you know, like Wyoming's walk-in areas and hunter management areas where, you know, I know specifically they target ranches that have a lot of land blocked property so that they can basically double their money, mm-hmm. so to speak, as far as access goes and really try and try and help out. And again, you know, like, for, for some of the ranchers, they, they don't want, you know, they, they don't have a desire to outfit their property, which they do. That's your, you know, that's, that's your call. If you want to want to outfit, you know, um, but as far as, um, but as far as like the way that they target those things, they intentionally try and find places that open up even more opportunity, you know, like the best bang for, for that money use. And, you know, it can be it can be a challenge. So sometimes where you've got you're you're having to find areas that aren't as great a habitat, but you're opening up areas, you know. Yeah. And so that's you know just just to provide opportunity and places for for people to go. So it's it's challenging. It's you know there's no one size fits all solution to to all of this. It's a you know what I am what I'm the most worried about is the art of civil dialogue dying. Yeah. In these no, things and that. That con- that concerns me more than anything else. Um, being able to come to the table, be reasonable on on all sides of the equation, and understand that you know that there are a lot of people who want to use a public land, and there there are explicit rights of the private landowner, and both should be respected. You know, for sure. I I feel like. And, oh, go ahead, go ahead. It, it, I just I just hope that we don't lose that, especially when. Um, Especially when, you know, knowing all the crazy that is out there and the, the crazy that doesn't want us hunting. Um, a, a lot of ranchers don't hunt, but a lot of them also do. Mm-hmm. And, and in so doing, you want to make sure you respect both sides of that because end of the day, it's the people who don't want meat that are our issue, you know, mm-hmm. for both sides. Yep. And fighting amongst ourselves on, you know, on those particular issues, that does not help us. And so I just don't want to see civility um civility lost because we're not thinking straight no it's a that's that's a great point because uh i i do think that that's something that we might miss in the grand scheme of things that the ally of what these landowners can be to hunters uh in, in the scheme of you know like the cattlemen's association uh helped the state of california go to bat for the the spring bear hunts or i'm sorry the the bear hunts uh the spring mm-hmm. bear washington issue so so you, you you know you if you just try to be as as hunters go at that alone against these 
you know, far left, anti-hunting, extreme vegan, whatever these, you know, Humane Society of the United States, uh, and they're they're in California coming at uh, hunting bears because it emotionally charges them and they want to see it end. Um, and, And it's just the millions of dollars behind the Humane Society of the United States coming at hunters. Hunters don't stand a chance, but when we can, uh, what happened in California is is they were able to get like the Cattlemen's Associations uh, of California, whatever those are called, I'm not totally mm-hmm. sure, uh, but in the, in the agricultural um, associations, and they all kind of banded together with hunters to make a case that bear hunting is critical to keep the predation off of these cattle ranches and, and things like that. And that's kind of what helped win the day uh, and, and I'm talking about the one from two years ago, not this one that just mm-hmm. got, uh, that, you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, 2021? Or was it 20? Gosh, man, all my years are starting to run together. I'm getting old. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's that's the point with that. I, I do think that there is some silliness in terms of, I, I agree with your, your sentiment. We, we don't want to... We want some civil discussion and and some solutions that can be had. It seems silly yep. to me that there hasn't been some solutions put forth. Like, you know, is there is there some issue with a landowner taking his square? Let's say he's got this one square, and then just north of him is a public chunk, and then to the right of him is a public chunk, but to the northeast of him is his land as well. Like, why why can't they just come to an agreement and swap those on the north end so that he owns consecutive chunks and there's two consecutive chunks of public. I know that's super complicated, but it's really not. And and, and it's like, unless that is super, um, you know, high-producing land for, for grazing cattle and, and the other side mm-hmm. to the left isn't, but I mean, there it's not like we're talking about a major landscape change here. It can't be that different. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's solutions. And... And I think you made a good point by if we stay on the civil side, those solutions can be had. So the the biggest the problem with you got two things with land swaps, and you know I am not the expert on land swaps, but every time I've I've heard a conversation about why they do or don't happen, there's there's two pieces to this equation. Government has a a net neutral acquisition policy like so the government tries not to get possess more land like as a as a general a general theory that's why yeah. you know you see things turned into nature conservancies and things like that or just you know, like the, the state of wyoming doesn't like to um acquire a ton of land because then they have to manage it and so they try and do things where they can open it up without the state actually owning it but you know there's, there's a, and there's a whole slew of reasons it's, well, it's not just a Aren't these checkerboard lands mainly BLM, like federally owned? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so I, I can, you know, having grown up in Southwest Wyoming, where there's a lot of it that we were granted access to, where we could go ride our four wheelers across all the time, never an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in saying that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of variety in that. So what happens when you start getting into big land swaps is it's really hard to get into agreement on the values of the land being the same. Gotcha. And so that that's why they're, they're complicated. They take years. And then what you find out is that, um, you know, there's, there's some family from wherever they've, they've camped on such and such side for so many years. And, you know, pretty soon you got 15 families, you find out they camp on the area that's about to be swapped. 
And so, you know, it's, it's just a very, yeah. yep. It's just a very hard, uh, it's, it's very hard to get land swaps to go through. Um, where it where it typically works is not necessarily areas that are checkerboarded but where you've got um you know like northeast wyoming i know has had some land swaps work out um and and generally speaking what will happen is you'll have a, a big section of land that was like way landlocked or didn't have a public easement their answer says hey this is the same value for what I've got right next to here, but it makes monetary sense in some other way. They don't have to get grazing permits or traveling grazing permits, all these different things to access some of the land that they've got. So they'll propose a land swap for something that's like right next to, to a, a highway or a public easement. Sometimes those will happen. Um, hmm. But hmm. but that they're, they're tough to make go through. Like, and like, like I said, I am not an expert. Those are the well, very surface level conversations I've heard and, and been a part of. You're you're definitely on top of this a lot more than I am. I mean, you can you could see you know my level of knowledge on on the checkerboard landscape is is pretty limited. Obviously, that's why I'm asking dumb questions. But that's normally what I do. Um, I like to ask dumb questions because. Uh, I, I genuinely I don't know much about it, so it's good to have these conversations and shed some light on it. Um, but uh, Scott, I know we started a little late. I feel like I'm keeping you long. I, you mentioned something about having to be be out of here by now. Um, should we should we wrap this up by coming back to this tag hub conversation? Absolutely. Um, oh, go go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I feel like we had a little delay there. Oh, you're good. <laughs> the, the the Eastman's tag hub. Um, basically guys listening, I, I, I'm going to give you my quick little analysis here and then, uh, Scott is going to be able to come in and, um, correct me, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> if you guys sign up for this, what, what this is, is it's going to really help you plan, um, uh, plan your hunts get the tags that you want, get the tags in the right areas that are going to give you the highest odds. Uh, it's the kind of tool that. I, I feel like it's, I mean, it's a game changer, first of all, because you don't have to go through like the old fashioned way and, um, you know, look at maps and, and draw all this out to determine where your best odds are. All, it, the information is just all packed right here into this website. Um, without trying to make this a big commercial for it, it's, I, I think it's for any Western hunter, a, a, a pretty critical tool, especially if you're looking to hunt out of state. But even if you are hunting in state, like I got on my Idaho, the the Idaho map, and I don't remember if it was in the map or the the analysis section, but I found out some harvest data that is a little bit different than what the Fish and Game put out in terms of it's a lot more in depth, um, mm-hmm. and it gives you percentages and all sorts of things yep. that tell me okay, it it actually I don't want to give the units away, but I figured out okay, I hunt a lot there, and that's why I never uh, cut a tag. <laughs> in that yep. area, but I do hunt a lot over there. And that's why I end up usually with bull screaming in my face and that it makes yep. sense. Uh, anyway, I learned it on tag hub and I've only had it for like two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, that's my assessment of it. I, I, I think that it's, it's a critical tool for any serious hunter. Uh, it, it's even if you're like a semi serious, you're like, Oh, I, I didn't know it did this too. See when I, I talk and, It'll give you uh, grizzly information and wolf information mm-hmm. and drought information. Yep. Okay, so that's something yep. I just learned by messing yep. with it while I'm yakking. Uh, super cool, man. Why don't you kind of fill in what, what I'm missing there? 
Yeah, you, you've really hit it all that there's a lot of power, like when you're doing the primary filter, make sure you change out the themes because you can see a lot of different data. You can do it and you can manipulate it. You can oh, yeah, you know, yeah, change yeah. your settings. Um, and so, and, and color, you know, we're, we're, you know, I know the vast majority of hunters are men. I apologize to the ladies that are on here, but men are visual creatures. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we like to be able to see light up the colors and, you know, you can really you can really find out why you why you did or didn't draw. You can filter it by you know you can do a theme where there's pressure like hunting pressure, which you know which units or areas have the worst hunting pressure and why. And so there's a lot of things that you can do there that you know really take really take it to take your hunting to the next level. Brian Barney, our podcast host, he says next level hunting all the time. And mm-hmm. so that's something that uh, we've kind of adopted. And so you can really take your you can really take your research to the next level with this tool. And we have a lot of cool things coming in the future. So you know, stay tuned. Um, the the fourteen ninety nine a month is pretty mindless. You know, it's just like your Netflix subscription, and to make sure that you never miss out on magazines, which that's a big deal. You know, being able to do that, and we're constantly going to be updating it. We, you know. I can't let the cat out of the bag too far, but when I say cool stuff is coming, we have some really, really, really cool updates coming that are going to make this even more intuitive oh, and more feeling. Are you going to so leave me hanging, cool. man? Are, are you going to give us oh, yeah. the slightest hint? Nope, I can't. <laughs> Dang it. Can't yet, because I'm still, I'm still in development phase, but I'm at the point now where I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, so I can start, you know, start patting our own back that we're really, really coming out with some cool things. Um, this, uh, this little grizzly analysis thing is super helpful, man. That, yes, it is. That is like way, okay, that makes sense as to why, well, let me put it to you this way. I am not going to that unit, uh, that I'm looking <laughs> at in Wyoming. I deal with enough yep. grizzly bears where I'm at. I'm going to go back to the Idaho and turn that on. That's, that's really cool. Um, and go ahead. I'll say this. I'm going to, with our grizzly bear, I'm going to be updating some of that data. Because what it's got is that's got core area on there where like it's for sure they they are absolutely there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be updating with some more data that shows a bit more expanded where, okay, they, they're there but they're not as heavy as say like Park County, Wyoming. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. It's it's uh, God, that sucks. I'm looking at the Idaho one. It, it like the literally the property where I live right now is in the Grizzly. <laughs> like right on the border too, so uh, which I I already knew, but I you know you always kind of hope because I I just I don't like grizzly bears, man. I just I, I just don't like them. Um, and every year they it it I'm like it's reinforced. Um, yep. Cool. Yeah, They're so, just bullies. They are so. bullies. They are bullies. Well, they they just well we won't get into that whole. Con- I <laughs> I bring it up like <laughs> every podcast. Like we need a hunting season on them because I think it'll scare them a little bit. Yep. Keep them keep them at bay, but. Uh, no, this, this tag hub, dude, this is, this is like a work of art, man. I can't believe all the information that's in it, uh, and the potential that mm-hmm. anybody can, I mean, you could, this is like almost cheating when it comes to getting a yep. tag. This is great. So I, I set up a promo code for your listeners as this all uppercase Huntsman. Oh, so cool. there's a discount code for it. I believe I took 20% off. Um, so, you know, you get that on your first order, or if you do an elite annual, it'll take it off. So the elite annual is one forty nine ninety nine, save 30 bucks a year uh-huh. off of the monthly. And I'll take an additional 20% off if you use the code Huntsman. Man, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. That's a smoking so, deal. 
Um, guys, that is uh, that is super cool. I didn't know he was doing that before before you just heard that uh, that there's a there's a promo code for it. So I will throw that in the show notes. It's all caps lock huntsman. Yep. Um. Oh, all caps. Cool. I appreciate that, man. Um, Scott, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, I, I really feel like we just kind of scratched the surface of a lot of stuff that we can go into detail on. So I think we're going to have to do this again. Hey, let's do it again. Absolutely. I, I uh, really enjoyed it. So um, let's let's plan on that. And um, guys, check out. I'm going to have all of the links right there in the show notes for Tag Hub and Eastman's Journal. And uh, Scott, do you want uh, – what's your Instagram or – social media stuff um my my instagram is eating at eating the wild underscore ehj um but i'm somewhat active on there so definitely follow eastman's hunting journals at eastman's elevated um at beyond the grid tv those are the company um those are the company pages um Mm -hmm. social media is actually part of my department i've got a got a young man who uh uh, actually runs all that i used to do all the social media but i've handed it off to him he's got a a great creative spirit and loves to do that he's absolutely killing it on our social media so it's it's very cool you better be careful i'm i might have to hire him i'll I'll, I'll poach him (laughs) out of you just kidding. I, no, please don't. All I could do that is I, I could just offer him like free beer every once in a while. So uh, I don't have the budget. <laughs> well, that, that, would, that would cripple me to lose him. So he does he does awesome work for us here at Eastman's. No, that's great, man. Um, again, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Uh, great, great talk. Uh, guys, I encourage you to jump on and check out, at least at least give uh, this Tag Hub thing a consideration because, I, I like I said in the beginning, it's a, it's a total game changer, especially for me. I am in my you know early 40s. I've been hunting for a long time, uh, and that is basically when, when you've got somebody that's been doing this as long as I have, jumps on there and learns a ton of information, I promise you... Uh, if, especially you younger guys, this is, this will shave years off of your research. Um, so I hope that made sense the way I put that. I, I keep trying to talk and read at the same time, but um, Scott, thanks again, man. This was uh, this was awesome. No problem. Thanks for having me on. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.